Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsing, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Uh, Noel, how's it going today? It's going okay. I'm a little tired. Um, more so than anything, I'm actually a little worried about you and how you're going to feel tomorrow. <laughs> well, it's okay. So listeners, who has two thumbs and the first dose of the vaccine? This girl. I'm very excited. I had a, a doctor's appointment today and I was like, so, so doctor, now that the, there's been some new, you know, CDC guidelines. Is there any updates on uh, recommendation? Because previously my doctor, because I'm able to be very bubbled um, and everything, my doctor was like, yeah, I mean, since you're not a, you're very much able to isolate and stuff, just let's wait till, you know, they know more to get the vaccine. Hold off. You know, it's not the end of the world if, you know, for me, if I have to wait until after I give birth. And, uh, and so I was like, so any update? And they're like, and it was like, yep, you're good to go. And I was like, and literally I left my appointment and all <laughs> hopped on my app for my mm-hmm. medical group or whatever, and drove to the place and got my vaccine right after that. I had not planned on that. So I was not wearing a vaccine friendly shirt. It was like a whole thing. Yeah. Um, anyways, so, so I'm feeling fine. Little, little arm soreness it keeps, I keep thinking of Tarek. It's like, yeah, but yeah. Like superpowers, but you know, my arm really is, uh, it's bothering me. Um, but the second dose is when, you know, I anticipate. Oh, right. The second dose. Yeah. Well, I know that some people still have like a weird adverse effect. I mean, my second dose was not great this week. Um, I'd forgotten what the flu felt like. It's not great. <laughs> It's not great. Like, um, I've worked from home for, like, the past five years. Um, so my contact with, like, the public and the outside world is kind of minimal. And I always get vaccinated for the flu, even when I was, like, taking public transit to get to work and stuff. Uh, so I just forgot that your body just aches just yeah. all over. Um, and the sun just makes me behave like someone from what we do in the shadows. Um, <laughs> I was so close, so close to becoming a tavern owner in Philadelphia. Just <laughs> so close. Um, but I'm better now and I'm, I'm excited for the weekend. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Yay. Yeah. I, I, I'm uh yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling very uh, fortunate. There's been some various things. It's been a good day for, you know, for me. So you know, yeah. between being able to get the vaccine and, and um, looking forward to then, you know, T minus however many I'm, I'm, uh, I'm eight weeks out. So I mm-hmm. should be done with all the like fully vaccinated a couple weeks before my due date. So that's making me feel much better about heading into a hospital. So um, yeah, it's very exciting. Um, we have some listener feedback this week from Vince and actually from the week before that I meant to, drop it uh pull out but i forgot to for last week so vince says uh so what do you think the chances are of supergirl pulling a she-ra ending i'm guessing he's talking about Supercore. um uh because that would be absolutely fabulous the thing i don't understand is what's stopping them it'll be the show's last episode anyway and apart from a few people who won't be happy with that dc and wb could uh, be the only ones in power opposing it and it's a multiverse anyway so who cares about canon Oh, see, no, uh, like, Vince is being reasonable here. <laughs> yeah. No, you're being too reasonable, Vince. 
I mean, like they could, they could do that, but I just, what, what's stopping them is money and they have a lot of shows on the air. So if they, they could be worried that they will piss off the wrong people who will then like have that impact their other shows that are still on the air. Yeah. I think that that's a possibility, but I also think that they have Batwoman and they already renewed it for another mm-hmm. season. Um, so I don't know that I can like buy into that um, logic, but I don't know what the reason is. I legitimately don't yeah. like, it's just the fact that they don't want to. Well, and they've just spent so much of the show queer baiting those two characters that I don't trust them to not yeah. to, to pull the trigger because they've already gone past the point where it would make sense for them to pull the trigger. Yeah. And they haven't done it. So we'll see. But that would be nice. We would, would be. be on board. It would It would also involve me like watching the show again. And I am like two to three episodes <laughs> behind at this point. Yeah. Um, though I heard interesting things about the prom episode, which was this week's episode. So I'll be curious to hear what your thoughts about it, too. Yeah, I will talk about that a little bit later uh-huh. on in our weekend TV. Um, Vince also said, uh, thank you back to Ellie McBeal, of course, which we talked about last week uh, when it aired. A few things stand out. Um, I got major Dawson's Creek vibes, two lifelong friends and air quotes soulmates circle around each other and constantly complicate their lives. Two, a lot of my memories are fuzzy and mixed with Boston Legal because they have so many future stars. Callista Flockhart, Jane Krakowski, Peter McNichol, Portia de Rossi, Lucy Liu, um, uh, Robert Downey Jr., and they, who all went on to guest star on other great shows and movies. Um, and uh, then about Boston, then then also there's um, Boston Public, and uh, Vince got to know Monica Potter on Boston Public, and that's a big part of what brought, what brought him over to Parenthood, which he absolutely loved. Obviously, Lauren Graham was the other reason, and then it got us uh, Boston Public, which brought Jerry Ryan back to our screens, and Shai McBride took him over to Pushing Daisies. It's all connected. Yeah, lots of overlap in, in each of these shows, and very different shows tonally, but um, but all you know, like Boston Public versus Parenthood versus Allie McBeal versus Pushing Daisies. But they each have, you know, they each have their strengths. And the ones that I've seen, I've really enjoyed. Uh, I like the shout out to Jerry Ryan, who I always enjoy and I feel like isn't in enough things, unless she doesn't want to be in more things, in which case, fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, a bunch of very talented actors, certainly. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it's kind of intense when you think about the churn of David E. Kelly shows uh, in that period and how a lot of people circulated through them. Um, and just, yeah, it's, it's, uh, and then just kind of some people just kind of faded away. I think about how a not insignificant portion of the cast for Boston Public are probably theater people, but still, you go, mm-hmm. Wait, you were on this really high-profile show that, admittedly, like limped to the finish. Um, but yeah, so it's just yeah. But now he gets David e. Kelly gets to work with Nicole Kidman whenever he feels like it. So, so you know, there you go. Um, today at the end of the show, we're talking about Everybody Hates Chris, which is a sitcom that was on UPN and then took, transitioned over to the CW when that started. It ran for four seasons, and um, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, this was my idea to talk about because I think I had maybe seen one episode ever and I was curious about it. So we'll, that'll be at the end of the show. Uh, but first we have a week in TV. So we're going to take a break, listen to some music and come back with our week in TV right after this.
This week in TV, we're going to kick things off with the return of a Black Lady sketch show, which had its season two premiere. But the tilapias are fine, though, right? <laughs> then we have Rutherford Falls, which dropped all of season one on Peacock, and which we caught up with. Or I, I should say, I caught up with Noel, watched the first four. Uh, I did catch up with, and so did Noel, the Great Pottery Throwdown season four. Uh, Top Chef Portland had Thrown for a Loop, their fruit episode, orchard episode. Drag Race had its grand finale. I'll have a quick, a couple quick thoughts on Black Lightning, The Book of Ruin, Chapter 4, Lighting? Lighting? I, I don't recognize it as being, like, a reference, and maybe I missed it. It's, I was like, is this really the title? Okay, is that, like, a thing I should know? Is that, like, a reference to the, and I'm, yeah, I'm perplexed. Anyways, The Book of Ruin, Chapter 4. Supergirl had Prom Night, sorry, Prom night! Exclamation point. I don't know exactly, you know. And then we'll round things out with the finale of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. One world, one people. So first up is a Black Lady sketch show. Now, we really enjoyed season one. Season two, because of how filming worked, uh, Quinta is uh, not back. Um, because there was a scheduling conflict, so she she was not able to come back. Um, they have two new cast mem- members, so we start with a like a reality reset, knocked your head, like you know, alt reality for this, you know, the the event that was like the kind of book ending through line of season one is still there for season two, just now with slightly different cast and everything. What is a different location and a different location and different roles within the group dynamic. Mm -hmm. Certainly. Um, What did you think of this uh, premiere and that adjustment of the cast and, and how the new, the new cast members are going. And that also we have some recurring bits as well. What did you, what did you think? So I like both the new cast members so far, Um, Lacey Mosley and Sky Townsend, I think, or both just slide right in really well. Um, I do miss Quinta um, uh, Brunson, who I thought was really great balance for the rest of the cast. Yeah. Um, especially as the season progressed. So I'll be really curious to see how, with five cast members as opposed to four, the kind of dynamics that they find and explore in that process. Um, as for the rest of the episode, um, I think the big standout for me um, was man the mash sketch and by mash (laughs) i don't mean mash as in the movie and the tv show i mean mash as in uh, mansion apartment shack house yes that um (laughs) that was great like i i just loved all of that uh with just it was very very good and it made me very very happy i thought it was just really delightful uh, so that was, for me, the kind of the standout sketch in this one, apart from the black man lawyer ruining the all-black lady courtroom, but then realizing he was ruining it and leaving. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a fairly strong start. Um, I love the Kim Coles cameo in the bank robbery one. Um, and I like the twist of the bank robbery <laughs> one. The show, I'm glad that the show still has those elements of surrealism to it. Um, and the, the, that's going to continue to be a thing. Um, so overall, really happy. I'm still just very sad we're only getting six episodes again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want more, but I'm greedy. Yeah. Uh, so how did this episode feel to you? And did any particular sketches stand out? How did you feel about that opening? Um, I thought it worked. Uh, and I think that's an interesting way to go. I look forward to seeing what they're going to do if they are able to get, I mean, I mean, assuming it gets to season three, which I have not heard anything about, but if it gets to season three and if they're able to get Quinta back, um, I'm curious what that will do 
then in the next season, if they then have six cast members. Um, but, you know, who knows? We'll see. Uh, the the Black Lady courtroom, I thought, was actually a little diminishing returns. Like, it was still great, yeah. but I still enjoyed it. But that first sketch is so terrific. Uh-huh. Um, and the energy of it, that this... Uh, even with the the things they were having fun, like the I liked that they were um, the the defendant was uh, getting into trouble to try to recreate the magic of the first one and everything, yeah. um, but it it for me was fun but less you know more of like ah oh, yeah I don't know if I know if it's worth it or not but um, I did really like the bank robbery sketch the mash sketch was fantastic. Um, I'm really, like you said, I'm looking forward to seeing how the dynamic has shifted with five cast members. Um, and yeah, it's it's great to have it back. Very excited for the season. I also want more episodes, but I'm grateful for the ones we have that we yes. are getting at least. So that's yep. something I'm looking forward to, to watching it every week and having that as, you know, one of the go-to shows. So it's exciting. Um, over on Peacock, we had season one of Rutherford Falls, which is a like a sort of a buddy comedy ish friend, you know, friend show from um, uh, from Mike Shore and uh, and yeah. others. But it's it, it stars Ed Helms as Nathan Rutherford, his family, his ancestors founded Rutherford Falls. His best friend is Regan. Um, uh, Reagan, uh, in, uh, played by Josh Meadling. And she's actually was on first as a writer before she was cast as the lead of the show, one of the co-lead of the show. Um, but they both have these strong connections to their families and their, in their histories and their, and everything. Regan is a member of the Minishanka tribe, uh, who th- there's a significant population in, of, of the Minnesota, which is a uh, Native American group that uh, a tribe that was invented for the show. Um, and there, there's a significant population in the town. Um, so she, she's best friends with, with Nathan since they were kids and they bond over their love of history and, uh, and their <laughs> desire to, you know, run and uh, be able to share their passion for, of history and museums together. So, so, Rutherford Nathan has a runs the Rutherford Museum about his family's history in the town, um, and Regan runs the cultural center, which she's trying to make into an actual like museum for her people. And uh, yeah, they get into various adventures over the course of the season. The the antagonist is Terry Thomas, who's the CEO of the Minnesota. How Casino. dare you describe Terry as an antagonist? How he's clearly the hero. <laughs> He's, he's, yes, he's the antagonist for Nathan, but not for the audience. (laughs) Um, And the the cultural center is inside the casino. So there, you know, there's all sorts of things that that happen there. But, uh, you know, uh, Terry is played by Michael Gray Eyes and is absolutely, who is absolutely fantastic. The whole cast, I think, is really strong. And I'm the, the other person who shows up, uh, there's two more. Bobby Yang is a high school student who interns with Nathan um, at, at the museum and is just sort of like follows him around like a puppy dog um, a bit, a uh, very, uh, very in- engaged and like type a uh, Tracy flick, a little bit uh, puppy dog. Uh, and, uh, but with less um, edge, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, sure. I think that's fair. 
And then uh, Dustin Milligan from Schitt's Creek is Josh, who's a NPR journalist. You need to up. qualify that as the super hot NPR journalist that shows up. <laughs> the super hot uh, NPR journalist who shows up uh, looking uh, to see if there's a story in Rutherford Falls after some, you know, as, as some video goes viral with with Nathan around um, whether they're going to take down a statue of his ancestor. It's in the middle of the road that people keep crashing into because it shouldn't be in the middle of the road. Anyways. I don't know why they planned it that way. That's my larger question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the issue is less the statue and more the fact that they built a road right there. Exactly. Why did you do that? The statue has been there. I would assume. The statue is there before the paved road. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Anyways, uh, this is a charming show. It's 10 episodes. I liked it quite a bit. Uh, I I got, I grew frustrated with aspects of it as it went along and really would prefer the show if it was just about Regan. Um, I'm curious how you felt about it and, and uh, what, you know, what your experience with the first four episodes was. Yeah, I was not really liking the show very much across the first three, um, in part because I was just like, I get it. I get what you want to do show. I get it. I get it. I get that. Ed, I get what Ed Helms' whole deal is. His, what Nathan's whole deal is. I get it. I'm good, but I get three episodes of it anyway. Um, and it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah, he is very exhausting. He's super exhausting. And not in like an endearing way, just in a general too much. Um, and he's got that kind of, for me, that... And part of this, I think, is just boils down to Helms as well. Uh, he's got that Michael Schur um, prof- protagonist of a sensitive oblivionist. Um, and it just grates from Helms in a way that it doesn't necessarily grate from Polar or to even a certain extent with um, Steve Carell. And I know that Carell and The Office are separate, um, but you the lineage of that there's some dna there yeah Yeah. absolutely so i think that that was like a big problem i was having in the first three episodes but the fourth episode focuses on gray eyes as terry and that episode is just a banger like Mm -hmm. it's really really good the perspective shift just makes all the difference um in both my enjoyment of the show but also in how how it helps provide some balance and contextualization of Nathan's antics in a different way. So I really, really liked the fourth episode and enough that like the fourth episode made me want to watch more, which is good because after the first three, I was like, I'm not watching any more of this. (laughs) Um, As much as I like Regan as well, because I think Regan's really delightful, but I just, I was just, I was just running into a big wall with Nathan's character that I was not, I was very worried I was not going to get over. So I was really glad to get that fourth episode in. Uh, so my partner and I will probably like get back to this. I, I don't know how she was feeling about it. I need, we need to talk about it. Um, but yeah, I, I felt like there was a lot of writing on the wall with the Buckhart Lodge, uh, Buckhart Lodge episode and Paul F. Tompkins' character showing up. And mm-hmm the ways in which they're trying to put Nathan on a particular whiteness perspective uh, spectrum, I should say. And then I was just like, that was where I was just like, yeah, I get it. I get Mm -hmm. it. So we'll see. I'm really interested to see how the rest of the season plays out. Um, But with a degree of caution, but it's mainly after the fourth episode that I went, yeah, no, 
Terry's the hero, Kate. He's the <laughs> hero. Um, how yeah. dare you? Um, and you, we should also mention that Nathan and his family have largely sold off pretty much all their influence to the Rutherford Corporation, which mm-hmm. is the company that their family founded however many years ago, and they basically have no influence over, but they like get checks from them every now and then. Um, and Nathan's on the board, I think, uh, but no one takes Nathan seriously. No, no one takes yeah, Nathan seriously. Yeah, he's a seriously. non-voting member of the board. <laughs> yeah, he has next to no influence. But I think that there's, hopefully, you can just tell me, does Nathan get better as a character? Yeah, Nathan gets a little better. Okay. But also, just as it goes, the show is less centered on him. It is still more centered on him than I would like. Mm-hmm. Um, Because I don't think he's interesting. And, you know, I think also some of this was timing of when I was watching it. I was, well, you know, also watching, we were watching The End of Gravity Falls. And I was just up to here with lack of patience yeah. <laughs> for Stan and Ford's BS, you know. And this, and... and I just am not interested in centering Nathan in this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, having him in the story, sure, but it's not all that compelling. You know, the 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 white character has to like have his hand held through. Hey, you've been a good friend and everything, but that's because you haven't been made uncomfortable or pushed right. in any way. Yeah, and now that's happening, and you you're you need to decenter yourself. Um, and the the I think that is a good and worthy narrative, and it is a lesson that a lot of well-meaning liberals need to hear, um, and you know, and everything. But it's just not interesting to me. Yeah, I don't have a lot of patience for it. Um, I'm not, you know, especially when there is a much more interesting show happening in other parts of it. Yeah. Um. So I'm much more interested in um what's that like I said what's happening with Regan what's happening with Terry. Um. I like the relationship that develops to some extent. Uh. With Regan and Josh, the journalist. Um. I like he he's in a bit of an audience surrogate with like why are you, uh, why are you dealing with like why are you putting up with this. Mm-hmm. And why are you dropping what's important to you to help your friend? Like, yes, he also helps you, but when it's convenient for him and, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, so I think some of that's really great. I really enjoy Bobby. Jesse Lee is really fun as Bobby. Um, and I think there's some other really fun performances and everything. We should mention, this is something that has been mentioned a bunch of other places, but the one of the things that is a standout about this show is the fact that of the seven-person writer's room, five of the writers are indigenous uh-huh. and uh, including one of the creators of the show, Sierra Taylor uh, Ornelas, Ornelas, I apologize. I do not know how to pronounce your name. Um, and, uh, and then the, you know, one of the leads is also one of the writers as well. And it's just like, Oh, we couldn't include diverse voices. Cause we just couldn't find anybody. Okay. Well, they did. They yeah. found five people <laughs> to do, to be in their writer's room because it was so significant and important to have diverse voices amongst indigenous people as opposed to just like uh, one or two people. Exactly. I feel like you've ticked off a box. Um, and so to have enough, you know, different perspectives that you get some really terrific and thoughtful um, uh, differences of opinion and uh, and storytelling around the Minishanka tribe and the dynamics there. Um, so it, it, it's just like, you know, that's not a reason for me 
to be like, to hold the show up. The fact that the show is good and I enjoy it is a reason to hold it up. And also look what they did with this. So I don't want to hear from other shows that they can't, just can't, couldn't find anyone, right? We just couldn't find any black people in Canada. So that's why there's no black people in Superman and Lois, uh, besides, you know, the antagonist. Um, Such ridiculous, ridiculous things that people think they can just say and that people will believe them. Um, it's amazing. Anyways, uh, yeah, I, I the season, I think, I was surprised by the ending because it's not an ending. It's uh, it's very much like a part one to be continued kind of a thing. Uh, not like it ends on a cliffhanger, but just like... They pulled a Netflix season one on us. <laughs> the story's not done. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like, like there's, there's a, the arc, there's an arc for the season that seems like it mostly gets resolved and like examined, um, th- you know, through like episode eight, nine, ten, sort of a thing. But there's other parts of the show that are very much open ended, and like they're anticipating a season two, and they'll get into that then. And so that was surprising to me. I wanted more a more satisfying conclusion, um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens with it. Um, if it, if it does come back, I hope it does. It would be nice if it did. I certainly have enjoyed these performances and discovering some of these performers like Michael Gray. Is. And uh, certainly I, it's nice to see Dustin Milligan pop back up so soon. I know that uh, Annie Murphy is going to be back on our TVs this summer um, on that AMC show that she's doing. Uh, like Kevin can fuck himself or whatever it's called. Um, so, right, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's, you know, there's a lot to enjoy here. Um, and it's just disappointing for me that the thing I enjoy least is at Helms. Cause I actually really enjoy him as a performer. Just in this story, I don't need anywhere near the amount of Nathan that we get. Um, so that's hopefully something that will be tweaked in a season two and adjusted just like in the early, I think that I think the office comparison is really good because in the early parts of the office, there was way too much Michael Scott and they, it, they toned him down mm-hmm. in a significant way and rebalanced the times, like how they divvied up the episodes. And that made a huge difference for season two of the office, the, of the American office, I should say. And I could see, easily see that happening here and making a big difference. Um, so yeah, so I enjoyed it. I recommend it. Check it out. Um, and maybe, I don't know, would you say check, wait, like push through to four and see what you think or. Yeah. Yeah. I would push through at least to the fourth episode, uh, since I feel like a lot of the show kind of clicks into focus once we get a lot of stuff on Terry. Plus there's just, Terry gets a really big speech that I think is really good. It's very complicated. Um, and I think it provides a lot of additional perspective and, yeah, I think that that fourth episode is the thing to get through. I think you can almost just skip season season. I think you should just skip episode two because it's not good. Um, unless you just really like Paul F. Tompkins doing Paul F. Tompkins stuff, um, which is not my bag most of the time. So that plus the type of character he's playing, it was just not a great look for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, if you can get through to episode four, I think it's probably worth sticking it out. But again, I also have not watched episode five yet. So I can't say that for like 100% certainty. But I did really like the fourth episode a lot. Okay. Well, our next show is The Great Pottery Throwdown, season four. Um, And I guess I I have something we have to talk about, but it's spoilery. So let's save it for a little bit later. Okay. Um, And just say, what did you think overall about season four? 
and uh, how they handled, uh, you know, their coronavirus bubble and the energy of the show and everything and, you know, the challenges and the contestants. What, what did you think? So, one, I love Rich as a judge. and I'd never want him to leave. Um, he's mm-hmm. delightful. Um, I never want Rose to leave either, even though I'm sure Rose works very specifically with this kiln or this um, pottery place but i like rose a lot um but siobhan mcsweeney cannot leave the show now like just not allowed to leave <laughs> like the other hosts haven't been bad but yeah. she's just better she's just top tier better and it's it's yeah and i agree with you i don't believe that sarah cox and melanie uh sykes have, were bad no stretch of the imagination i actually think sarah cox was really really good and i really like sarah cox a lot um on the show but it's a very different sort of vibe and energy that um, McSweeney brings to the pottery room, basically. Um, and I really, really liked that. I liked her rapport with all of the folks. And it was a very different kind of rapport, too, than um, Sykes and Cox had had previously. And I think that it just really added a large degree of warmth that this season, particularly given the nature in which they filmed it, needed um so i really liked having siobhan mcsweeney here and she's again not allowed to leave the show (laughs) (laughs) like they can they can replace everyone else really honestly siobhan mcsweeney has to stay (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was interesting seeing the dynamics over the course of the season because uh because they're all quarantining together uh the and that, like, you know, it's the middle of COVID and everything is when they were filming this in a production bubble. Um, it's, there's even more emotions early on when people start to leave. Yes. And like, like the first elimination isn't too bad, but like second, third, fourth, people are getting really emotional. And then there's a tipping point, And then it's like, we're in the end game and people's eyes are more on the prize. Right. But early on, there is such a camaraderie and it's, I mean, because they aren't then going home at the end of filming, they're going to ho- yeah, a hotel for the most part and hanging out. And like, you know, like we get just a little bit of footage of that. I would have liked more. Yeah. Um, this is not top chef where we regularly see them hanging out in their potters or boat or whatever they called it. Yes. Um, but at one point they get a video message from Dolly Parton and we get to see them like watch it on the couches in the place they're staying. And it's just like, oh, I want to just, you know, see some of this. Who's making the popcorn? And, you know, you know, I wanted to see them like just like nerd out together as they sit and like break down the challenges and what, you know, all this different stuff. Um, so there's an interesting different, you know, camaraderie that you get uh, because of the changes to filming and, and not having really having guests come in in the yes. same way. There's a couple, but there's a lot fewer um that that changes some of the dynamic as well with the judging, but um, but no, I, I like these challenges. I thought the the level, the caliber of the potters was really high. Um, yes, and uh, I mean, listeners, you've been warned. If you don't want any spoilers, skip ahead. Check this the show notes for a timestamp because I'm gonna spoil somebody who's not in the finale. And I'm gonna do that in five, four, three. Sal was robbed. I mean, what the hell, man? Like, yeah, Sal was not robbed. I mean, I get they had to eliminate two because they, you know, they, they didn't the eliminate fourth. the yep. one. But, like, ah, poor Sal. I, like, I thought Sal was taking it all. What did you think? 
I definitely thought Sal was going to take it all up until around, I want to say, episode... Um, until around episode, like, I think six, when it, for me, became really clear that Adam was getting the he's going to win it all narrative. Um, mm-hmm. And he would have if he had followed the brief a bit more in the finale, and he did not. And also those fucking decanters, man. I don't know what the fuck he was thinking with those decanters. They looked super cool. Yeah. But they, they, were, like, not, they were not functional. They were not like, functional. Yeah. So, yeah, up until that point, um, I really thought Adam was going to take the whole thing. Um, by starting around like episode like five or six, when, it, when he was getting that edit and he was just starting to pull out the stops mm-hmm. um he was just like i'm gonna win this now because uh, he was like the he was in the top pretty much from like episode five forward i think um but he didn't win best potter until the penultimate episode um anyway i agree i thought sal was really going to get to the the finale um but like with alon in that neither of them followed the brief <laughs> yeah yeah. And if there's one thing I really appreciate about the Great Pottery Throwdown is that the judges care about if you follow the brief. This is not blown away. <laughs> this is not blown away. This is not even baking show to a certain mm-hmm. degree. You need to follow the brief, especially when we're doing either when we're doing stuff that is about talking about and modeling our stuff about an actual pottering heritage. Mm-hmm. We need you to kind of follow the brief. You you can decorate it however you want. But when you put that big of a rim on a pot like that, it stops being... That kind of pot. That being kind of pot. And it becomes a Grecian almost pot to a certain degree. And it was... I was just like... If there was an episode to send two people home, because they were going to, because that fourth episode was kind of a... um Well... Everyone did really well, so we're not sending anyone home. <laughs> Everyone did really well, and it's weird because we had to stop filming for a week because of COVID stuff, and yeah. and it feels strange. So we're just we're just do over. <laughs> yeah, and I really feel like that they should have not. They should have done the double elimination a little bit sooner. Yes, they should have done it on like in the net, like as soon as they could. They should have done double elimination. There were some times when they could have. Yeah, and that's the thing is like. I feel like episodes five and six, particularly episode five, which is the "Hey kids, make a make this make this musical bust, <laughs> musical <Yeah>. legend bust." <laughs> I feel like that would have been a really good time to do a double cut. <laughs> yes, they definitely could have there. Yeah. Um, so that's I, I that it was really frustrating, but also as soon as I saw Sal's pot, I just went, you're, "Sal, you're going home because they're sending two people home in this episode." Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Ugh. So did any other like particular challenges uh, stand out to you? Um, I do agree with you. The caliber of folks were just way higher than it has been in the previous seasons. Um, and I was really impressed with pretty much everything everyone did for the most part. Yeah, I thought that, you know, what I thought was interesting was there, you know, some of those challenges were rough. Like yeah. the, the busts, I think it was particularly tough. But um, even more than that, uh, I was surprised by, because of the caliber of the the potters, I was surprised that there were so many significant cracks that started happening in the end game. Yeah. That like mistakes that didn't feel like they were happening the same with the same frequency and 
like not like one potter keeps making the same mistake, but just like a bunch of them had exploded <laughs> things in the kiln. And I don't know if that was because they didn't have time to go home and practice during the week, you know, like you maybe you normally would and practice in their like home, you know, potting setups or whatever. Um, or or what, but it seemed like as you got later into the season, there were a lot more like sort of kiln disasters. But I thought that the show did a good job of really stressing like this doesn't mean that they're not good this is just sort of how it goes and the the potters themselves were really like surprisingly chill about it in a way that is exactly what you're looking for if you're watching this show if you're watching bake off that kind of a thing right you're not watching an american reality tv show so you don't want that anxiety that uh those shows give us but um yeah that's what was surprising to me yeah and i think I, I agree with you. I think some of it's just nerves and the conditions of everything. Um, and I wonder if just the facilities maybe a little bit just didn't really lend itself to this. But also, I agree with you that the challenges were just... Because I think a lot of the challenges really relied on big pieces mm-hmm. this season, that that played a part as well. Um, but also a noseless Ozzy Osbourne's entertaining, and I'm not going to be angry at that. Well, and also the the Potters were all really talented, but they also did not have experience with big pieces. Yeah. Like it was consistently like, this is the biggest thing I've ever made. Yeah. Um, And and a lot of the, it seemed like, you know, having now watched four seasons of this show, clearly I'm an expert. Oh yeah, absolutely. I can, I can throw with the best of them now. Obviously. Uh, But the, um, the thicker the clay, the, the more moisture that's in it, the, the, the less it's able to dry out, the likelier that they're going to have uh, problems in the kiln. And when they're making the size and you know of builds that they have, it's less surprising than to me that that they there are mistakes with that. Considering they that this group of potters did not have a lot of experience making larger, and then therefore I think for a lot of them like thicker pieces. Um, and listeners, if you know about potting, if you know about pottery and 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 all of that, uh, let me know if that made any sense. But um, that was certainly something that struck uh, that struck me. And um, yeah, it is just very charming. I absolutely agree. Siobhan has to stay, um, and I'm hoping and assuming they're already casting for the next season. So I'm looking forward to whatever they they do next. But um, yeah, it's you know plenty of happy emotional tears about people's journeys and about like, you know, like even complete disasters, but someone pressing on is enough to make everybody emotional. And uh, that's something I can certainly relate to (laughs) uh, as someone who works in the arts. Um, There's, there's a lot to really enjoy here. I think in season four. So if you like the other seasons, check it out. If you haven't checked it out, I think this is a good season to jump in on. No, I think it's a great season to jump in on. I think it really gives you a lot to look at and in, Mm -hmm consider about the franchise overall. So I think it's a really good um, entry point. Yeah. Our next episode is Top Chef Portland thrown for a loop. This is their fruit episode. And uh, what did you think? I really liked this challenge. Um, I thought it was, I, I, I really loved the twist of we're taking away all your other produce. You're taking away all your vegetables. Yeah. I, yeah. I was just like, Oh, that's that's so good though from like a challenge perspective because it prevents them from hiding the fruit um and 
I I I was very glad about that because I was just like they're just gonna they're gonna hide the fruit somehow. They're all gonna make sauces basically, um, and plenty of them still made fruit based kind of sauces, including like a fruit gravy, which yes, yes, <laughs> um, but I think that it was a really smart way of pr- pushing them. Um, aside from the whole outdoors of it all, um, which pose plenty of other challenges for them. But also just the fact of they got the beautiful Pacific Northwest skyline um, of that big mountain behind them. And it's just like, yeah, this is why you shoot in the Pacific Northwest. Um, Particularly like, and make them go to an orchard and stuff. You get that beautiful view. So I really liked this episode. Um, Just, I, I don't know what, some people were thinking with like, yeah, I'm going to fry some chicken wings. It's just like, no, you're not you're just not. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. so I, I do think that, you know, if you're going to accidentally, because you thought they were done or that they, they were going to keep cooking, serve raw chicken to everyone. <laughs> yeah. The people yeah. you're, you're going to go home. Um, and then, yeah. So I thought this was a good challenge and I really liked it. And so I appreciated that um, and that they exploited the whole Portland food scene as well to kind of really explore some stuff. How did you feel about this episode? I I enjoyed it. And I agree about like taking their veg was a good way to go for this. And as far as like on the the list of various uh, twists, one that feels like daunting, um, but also very... uh, entertaining and not unfair um in what it brings out and the what it challenges them to do and i also appreciated that it's like they tried to play it up a little bit but it's like you, you just you know someone serves your raw chicken they're going home that's just what has to happen yeah it's it's appropriate um so yeah I, i'm looking forward to the next episode which is the drive-in episode i'm very excited about that one yeah i am too. um but yeah, and I think they've done a good job this season because the cast is so ridiculous. Um, the, t- the contestants are all so accomplished of just being like, okay, this wasn't your day, but you're still really good, but we're still sending you home. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, everybody be cool. <laughs> they aren't a terrible cook or anything. They just had a bad day. And, you know, the first batch of chicken was fine. <laughs> I like that they include, like, they include that in the edit, right? Of the the chefs talking and, and, and you know, the, the eliminated chef or the, you know, about to be eliminated chef being like, I, you know, and I, I tried the first batch and, you know, and I had Nate's story. He's like, yeah, it was perfectly cooked. And then just the judges got the second batch and second batch was not, you know, um, I, I like that they're making space for that in the edit and in their narratives that they're building. Um, yeah. Do you have a particular, um, chef you're rooting for or not yet? Not yet. Um, it's still a little too soon. I need the field to winnow down a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. and we'll see, I think give me like another two episodes before I can have like a solid beat on anyone just yet. Yeah, I'm I'm team everybody does well. It's <laughs> sort of where I'm at. Yeah. Um yeah, and I like that like people are realizing much earlier that they need to and the judges are being really clear with them about do not cook for us. Cook your food and yeah. we will be happy. 
Yeah. If you try to guess what we will like, you will get sent home because you will spend your energy on that instead of just making the best food you know how to make. Yeah. And I think some of that is a, we're 18, 20 seasons in, you yeah. should know that by now. But B, you're also sacrificing a lot to be here right now. And so are we. Mm-hmm. So please don't waste let's, our time. <laughs> let's not waste our time. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, let's go to our next episode, which is Drag Race and their grand finale. We've made it to the end of season 13. Uh, 16 episodes tied with season three for the most episodes in Drag Race history in a given season. Uh, 17 episodes if you include the COVID special, which would make it the longest running season of the show. Um, so I, I enjoyed the finale. Despite the format. And mm-hmm. I think that is... You know, like it really highlights this episode, I think, really highlights the problems with the lip sync showdown format. Yes. Because I think this is a really terrific and impressive finale until you get to the lip syncs. And the best lip sync isn't even the final. And it's good, but it's not amazing. The first lip sync was fine. And the second lip sync, I was like, oh, there's actually. There's a fight here. Like, I didn't anticipate that. Okay. Stepping up their game. Very nice. Like, I I thought the one person would, uh, you know, destroy the other. And instead, it's a little bit of a fight. Mm-hmm. The person I thought was going to win definitely still won. Yes. But, you know, still good. That's that's nice. That's cool. And then the final was like, just you're watching the whole time going like, well, Simone needs to win. Yeah. Yeah. If Simone doesn't win, I'm going to be pissed. Nothing against the other queens, but uh, you cannot <laughs> you cannot have been in a position where you should have been eliminated multiple times and we're not and we're saved and then win the whole, and you've only won once and then beat out someone who's, you know, better at lip syncing, at least in the style that suits this Drag song race. and yeah. this and the show, the history is like what it tends to get rewarded on the show. And also who won four challenges and also who served up those looks. Oh, my God. God. Simone's looks across the whole finale were ridiculous and they were all really good. The fashion. Like, I'm not a fashion queen, like, person. I'm not, like, that's not what I my go-to. But all of the fashion mm-hmm. was insane. Even, like, the misses comparatively were, like, season highs yeah. for the top four and also for the rest of the queens. Mm-hmm. Like, it was in. Same. The fact that they didn't leak that there was going to be a ball. Like, the fact that they're like, okay, well, it's COVID. We can't do it live anyways. So what should we do? Let's do a ball because then we can give them two hours in between to redo all their makeup yeah. for the next look, right? Or however they filmed it. Like, obviously, it was not actually filmed a lot. Like, the, the whole drive-in thing was great because it was a good way to simulate that kind of energy. But, like... They were not watching a live feed. If they were even watching the show at all, <laughs> it was after it had been recorded and edited together. That that was so polished and well edited, the way that they handled mm-hmm. that, um, that. Yes, no, they were definitely watching an edited version of it, which is weird when you think about it. Because then there was a blank spot where mm-hmm. all the Jada stuff was going to be spliced in later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, but I mean, like, oh, and Jada's, Jada looked amazing, yes. right? The only person I was like, huh, was Heidi's look, mm-hmm. which apparently was a Tu Wang Fu reference that I wasn't getting. But I like the colors yes. and like, like that was, I think I, 
I would have liked Heidi to, you know, I think I think Heidi could have looked better. Um, but you know, she's so delightful and charming and fabulous that who cares? You know, yeah. <laughs> who cares how she looks? Um, but and the only reason I say that is because the caliber was so insane. We've talked about Simone looking amazing. We also have to talk about Mick potentially having the best or one of the best looks in all of Dragger's history with the Eleganza look. That was insane. Um, but I mean, Rose looked terrific. Candy looked the best she's ever looked. Uh-huh. Uh, Rue in that opening. Are you kidding me? Really great. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. What? Um, so I'm just gagging on the fashion uh, in general. I was very excited for Lala getting Miss Congeniality. Did you have any other thoughts on this or any takeaways from the season now that we've, you know, kind of seen it all play out? Yeah. Um, I really don't want um, like a three episode premiere anymore. Like, I don't want that again. I don't. <laughs> Yeah. Just don't do it again. Um, Just do, they, they could do the same kind of thing, but it needs to be a, like a double episode on one, like a double premiere yes. or something. Not, and I don't mean like a four hour premiere. I mean like two hours instead of an hour and a half. Yeah. And and you do all the intros like that, like that. And so it's, it's one week. It can be two episodes, but in one sitting. Yes. Don't stretch it across three weeks. Don't do that to me. No. I can't. I won't. Um, no, I think that your point about the finale was really, uh, and the format of the finale really provides the limitations of what they're doing with their finale. Um, because it feels, it almost feels disingenuous to the show, how they mm-hmm. stage it. Um, and as a result, it becomes a really flat kind of experience on a, competition level and i'm doing air quotes listeners because rupaul's drag race is barely a competition show at this point um but it just leaves it leaves it makes for a very kind of flat narrative editing experience when you're just like arguably the top two people competing against each other is not how in the first round is not how this goes (laughs) yeah um you do that in the final round so that you can have a big knockout drag out lip sync battle as opposed to well bye mick is the <laughs> foregone conclusion as soon as the wheel was spun um because there was no way mick was going to beat simone for any reason um, yeah so that was just really really frustrating though my my larger takeaway from the finale overall and i also really liked the um the drive-in because i thought that was great i thought it was a great way to kind of get the crowd aspect of it was that i'm very firmly convinced that mick walked away with a very large world of wonder contract (laughs) um to do a bunch of stuff with them going forward because i think rupaul just loves mick so much um that they're going to be popping up everywhere which is good because they should be Mm-hmm. Well, and I, you know, I think that despite the issues that came with the season 12 finale, having, it really showed the strength of having that type of format of how they each do their own creative interpretation, uh, their own video, their own performance, right? And, but with much better music than usually the music they gave the Queens in the previous season, in the earlier season, season eight and earlier to do their own like live performance. Um, They let them just do whatever you want, express yourself and your drag um, in 
to a a song that we are willing to pay some money to get. Yes. And then we'll also do, and then of course they, because it was in the homes, they did the up close lip sync, which I actually thought was really, really cool. Yeah, it was great. And then they did like the full body lip sync. And because they weren't on the stage together, it actually worked better than that tends to work on drag race. So like, I think you could definitely do something where you had a, like a first round where they each have their video and then one person gets eliminated and then you have a final battle between the last two or something. Mm -hmm. And that would work better unless it's a season where you absolutely have to have four. They did not need to have a top four. No, they did not this year. And I think it would have been better because like they're trying, they keep trying to recapture the magic of the season nine uh, lip sync, you know, with, with Sasha Valor. And just no one's going to top that. And the only reason that like even happened is because Sasha had not lip synced all season. So people did. She was an unknown entity for people who did not know her drag beforehand. And so then that's part of why she was able to 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 just completely blow everyone away. Surprise everyone. Um, And also the fact that she's really good at creating narratives and and has the right focus. Right. Everybody learned the wrong lesson from the rose petals. And, uh, and, and so, and it's really been diminishing returns to various extents since then. Um, so they, they, I would like them to shake it up and to get more, be willing to take a risk with their finale format. Yeah. And I think this episode, because the rest of the episode I thought was paced so well and was fun and had really amazing fashion and performances and the interviews and everything was fun. Rose's family are absolutely delightful. Uh, probably a lot, yeah. but for a TV show, super fun. Um, like that was all great. And then it was just sort of like when you got to the actual, what was supposed to be the climax. And if you don't have Lala and Denali and Utica and Elliot as your top four, then maybe don't rely on absolutely astonishing lip sync performances as the climax of your season. So I'm, I'm ready for a break. <laughs> Very glad we're not going right into all stars um, though down under starting this week. So we'll see if I talk about that next week. Uh, but it's it's been a really strong season. I think this, because like a worthy winner took the crown, I think this season will age well and will replay well over time is my estimation. We'll see how I feel about that in a few years. But um, yeah, it's, it's very different when you're watching week to week and you're like, how is this still, how is it still happening? But it is, but how... Um, I was very ready for the season to be done. Um, but congratulations to the top four. They did a wonderful job. Congratulations, congratulations to Simone, a very worthy winner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I'm ready for a break. And But also, I, I think All Stars is only on Paramount Plus, and I'm not paying for that just yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, and, you know, we'll see when that even gets announced. So maybe a while. Next up is Black Lightning, The Book of Ruin, Chapter 4. Um, lighting is apparently an Afrikaans word, which means suffering. Ah, okay. Thank you. Yeah. That makes sense. And, uh, that I'm, I feel dumb. I didn't, I didn't think to, I just Googled the word and it didn't come up for me, but, uh, thank you for figuring that out. I much appreciate it because that makes a lot more sense, especially with everything that happens in this episode, because. Is there a lot of suffering in this episode? Yes. There's a lot of suffering in this episode. Um, the Pierce family is going through it and, um. They leave things on quite a cliffhanger 
uh, and we'll see what happens. Um, I, I, it's actually, it's been a difficult season to watch because it's been a lot of suffering. Um, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, there's only a handful of episodes left. Yes. There's like three or four, right? Yeah. There's only three or four episodes left. So I'm wondering how satisfying the turn, the, what feels like the inevitable turnaround will be with that in mind. Um, but, uh, it's, I think it's good that they're bringing up topics that this show is passionate about, uh, obviously with, you know, some of the characters getting arrested and, um, and the, the, the carceral, the, the police and also the, um, the, just the prison industrial complex, like the way that they're engaging with it, I think is, uh, you know, it's capitalized important, right. It's a significant and, and valuable conversation to have. It's just, it's been a lot of pain and suffering for these characters and I'm not, <laughs> you know, it's been a rough year. Um, I, I want good things for them. So hopefully it'll turn around quickly, but I don't know how satisfying that'll be when um, you've just spent however many episodes we're on episode nine here of watching first Jefferson be in such a dark place and, and uh, Lynn and, and, you know, JJ now <laughs> Jen's in a different body and everything. Like there's a lot going on so that I think like a, everything's great and we're so much happier in three episodes. I can't imagine that it's going to be all that satisfying. Um, we'll see. But uh, there there was some interesting developments and I look forward to, because uh, I'm not trying not to spoil Noel. Yeah, guys. I actually, I appreciate that actually. Normally I don't mind, but I'm kind of like, oh, I kind of want to not know. Yeah. This time around. There's, there's some stuff with um, Khalil that feels very oh. pointed. Okay. All right. But I but I like it, which yeah. I'm surprised by because it's not he's not my favorite character. But they they like make it, there's some dialogue that they throw out there to to specify some backstory that people might have forgotten. Um, oh, that's that good. should make that should make uh, the next episode interesting. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, so like I, I I thought it was a good episode. I liked it, but it was still kind of rough to watch because of what the characters are being put through. There's also some character thing like back and forth. I'm like, they wouldn't say that. Um, okay, sure. They would, they wouldn't say that. <laughs> so we'll see how you feel about it. Um, next is Supergirl prom night. And we have a time travel episode and the flash. If you're going to do it, this is how you do it. So we send Nia and Brainy back to um, the prom for, you know, cars prom for reasons. And uh, they're trying to blend in and saying lots of what's up and, uh, you know, Brainy keeps stress eating. Um, it's delightful. It's fun. It's well paced. And it's part one of two. So oh, okay. uh, I'm excited for I think it's called Prom Again is the next episode title, something like that. Um, but yes, this this was delightful. I like, you know, I think they've done a good job every time they've done flashback episodes to um young alex and Kara, it's worked pretty well and this i think you know fits right in with that so i'm excited to see what's going to happen next there's some really campy cheesy stuff in here um but they take it in stride and i think that works well when you're focusing especially when you're focusing on 
these performers. So it's, you know, it's something that, I, you know, I don't know if you remember we were talking about earlier in the season. I was like, oh, good. Looks like they're actually going to use Brainy and Nia again, which is great because they did not use them anywhere near enough previously. So I'm looking forward to another week, um, another week's sojourn in the past and also another week, a break from the Phantom Zone stuff because I'm just not all that invested in it. So um, yeah, I'll leave it there. Our last episode is the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which has finale One World one people and Noel. I know that there's only so much they can do about this, but the new Captain America costume is just bad. It looks bad. The colors are bad. It works on a page. It doesn't work on a person. It doesn't work on a page. I always thought that costume was really overdesigned. Like, why is um, it white? But- why? Like, it's gonna get dirty immediately, and it doesn't. It should be sweaty and gross and covered in blood as soon as he starts fighting and, and everything. Or soot and dirt, and it doesn't. And it's not flattering. Like, like, how does he not cut his ears off every time he turns his head? Like, and I, there are other things I should be more focused on, like Sharon and other things that happen. But I'm just focused on how bad the cap suit is, because otherwise we'll have to talk about how bad that speech is. Um, there's fun stuff in here. But yeah, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier was quite a, a disappointment. Not not because I had huge expectations for it, because I didn't, but just because I was hoping it would be more fun and it would be more character-centered. Um, and when the show wanted to do that, they did a good job with it. But um, I just... It's just not a Kate show. I don't know. What do what, yeah. you think? I think the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is very much a... a like it's all the things that people criticize the MCU for in six hours. And it's really hard to not go. Yeah, you're, you're right. It really, it is because there's a bunch of ideas circulating. None of the ideas really come to anything. There's gestures that like character development, except then they just stop doing character development for like four episodes. And they're just like, right. Bucky was sad. We need to get back to that and resolve that real quick. Don't worry. We'll do that in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's like the main thing is like, it's just, it's both too much story, but not enough story all at the same time. Um, because I think that there's a good version of this show in here, but it involves really crystallizing and honing in on some concepts that there's just too much of a drive that you have to get to this point in which Sam is Captain America now. And I think that there's a really good discussion in the show about can a black man be Captain America? And what does that mean? Um, And I think that the parts of the show that really kind of tackle that, particularly through Isaiah Bradley and especially with Carl Lumley, um, performing that because the guy's a master um, that there is there's a really interesting thing to really tackle that and I think the show does a pretty good job of that I don't buy the ending with the statue because I don't think Isaiah would be happy about that no he's hiding <laughs> he's yeah yeah so I don't I don't love that and I don't love Isaiah's reaction to it either but it very much feels like we need Sam to be accepted by this other man. Yeah. 
And we're going to make that happen, no matter what, even if it doesn't quite make sense. Um, but also, boy, that display went up so fast at the museum. When did they make that statue? <laughs> Don't overthink it. Or any amount of think it. Because it's not overthinking yeah. to wonder that. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of where I ended up, is that there was just there was very clearly this like franchise building out happening in this show in particular that really kept it from doing, I think, anything. So it just ended up doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like it wanted Sam as Cap. Cool. I'm, I'm excited about that. Even if I like you, I don't like the costume. I didn't like the costume in the comics either, which is what this is based on. I agree with you that it doesn't look particularly good, but I'm also hoping that when they maybe put it in Captain America 4, it'll look better because they'll have maybe a little bit more money for also, it. Also, where did he get it from? Oh, it's from the Wakandans. It's from the Wakandans. They have better they have better fashion than that. Unless they were deliberately punking him, which is possible, because all of the other I things that we've seen them, them make looks yeah. amazing. Like, Shuri, come on, don't tell me Shuri designed that. No way. Yeah. So... <laughs> I think that's a very fair point. So I think that hopefully it gets like honed down or honed in a little bit more. Um, but we needed Sharon as power broker, reinstated, yeah. but also whatever she's doing. And then we just really need to drive home uh, Don't Color Val mm-hmm. and Walker. Yeah. Um, but he's also kind of a good guy, guys. So. Yeah. <sighs> but he's not. He's not. Like, he's very much not. Yeah. Um, but... Try try again, show. Um, so I think that there's like it was just a lot of stuff that they wanted to set up, and then they just kind of didn't have like a really firm grasp. And I don't like that like Sharon killing Carly is just generally not a thing. Mm-hmm. Which I just go, but she just she just killed a person of color. We're just gonna just skip over that, despite everything else that this show is about. We're just gonna skip over that part. Okay, got it. Great. And it's just like, I don't know what you want from me, show. I don't know what you want. So, well, I also don't know why the show was trying to get me on board with Carly after she started killing people. Because they were very invested in that in a way that they did not earn. Uh, despite actually, I think, a strong performance from the, yes. the actor. Uh, like, the actors across the board are doing their best, but there's only so much you're going to do with some of that writing. Th- this needed to be so much more streamlined and then really explored and the goal at the end here was uh he's cabs in america bucky calls him cap and if you want if you like you need to have bucky in this story which you don't but if you do if you decide you do do you start from a place of antagonism between the two of them and you end with He's Captain America and Bucky calls him Cap and like they have a good rapport. And there is a lot like that's what matters. And you then you have to start with a good reason why he doesn't immediately take up the mantle after it's handed to him from Steve. And I think can a black man be Captain America is a very like, you know, what does it mean for that? What what goes with that and is an excellent, excellent point like to be your through line. And to explore and to look, bring in Isaiah, bring in some of these other discussions, bring in the bank and the fact that, you know, the they're they're losing the, the boat and, the you know, all of this stuff. Like, there's a lot there. And then they just don't engage with it. And they try to bring all these other things instead. And it's, it gets muddled. And you're trying to do, like you said, too much and too little. And, oh, God, that speech. Don't want to get into it. But it's just so bad. 
It's just so bad. Well, see, but terrorists, don't call them, just call them terrorists, despite the fact that they obviously are, and we're gonna kill a, but they lit a van on fire full of people, because really, they have things that they're legitimately upset about. You know, lots of people have things they're legitimately upset about, and it doesn't make it okay when they start doing things, you know, like when they start hurting people and killing people and inflicting terror and suffering on people. The fact that like they're inspired by legitimate grievances doesn't matter. The fact that they put those words into the mouth of, of, of Sam and in that way, it was just like Anthony Mackie can't sell this. I don't know who could, I don't know if anybody could, this is bad and you should be better writers. So yeah, I don't have anything to add. The speech is very much a, do you get it type of speech? And I was just like, yeah, no, I got it. I got it. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. Thanks though. Yep. So, uh, decidedly less excited for Loki than I was. Uh, I, I wasn't, I haven't been excited for Loki, but just the, the bungling of the potential that I think this actually could have had, um, makes me even less interested in Loki, but we'll see. That's the next, their next one. Um, but for now, what wins your week in TV? Uh, Great Pottery Throwdown. Um, even though like it air, it dropped a long time ago, but it, I uh, just, it's so good. <laughs> um, what about you? Yeah, I, I think I'll give it to Pottery Throwdown, but with an honorable mention to Supergirl. Cause I did really enjoy what we got from Supergirl this episode. Um, so yeah. And which is surprises no one more than me. Uh, we get we get a uh, diff- a recast younger Cat Grant through this episode as oh, well. So yeah, that makes sense. So. Need to look forward to. Um, I think she's CJ Grant at that point. At this point, <laughs> excellent. Um, anyways, uh, now we'll take a break, listen to a trailer, and come back with our uh, DVD shelf on Everybody Hates Chris. was a trailer for everybody hates chris which is a sitcom that ran for four seasons and was centered on based on the the life of chris rock growing up um reset in the time you know frame like they moved the time period but loosely based around his life um in high school and up to leading up to the point in his life where um it doesn't happen on the show but in real life his father died and he dropped out of school and got his ged and um, uh, went, I mean, I assume he got his GED. I don't actually know. I don't we'll talk know. about that. <laughs> um, and then started his comedy career. Um, 
So this is, it was on UPN. It was developed for Fox, but then Fox didn't pick it up. Instead, it got bought by UPN. It transitioned over to the CW and uh, and stayed on the CW for the, you know, the next three years. So this was one that I was curious about because I hadn't seen it. And because I had heard some really interesting stuff about how it is actually like a freaking huge show in Brazil. Like oh, it is massively popular. Um, cause it, it, it aired on like public TV and, and, you know, in, in, uh, like not that long ago, um, compared to when it was on the air here. And then it still does really well in reruns. Like they do massive conventions for it and the cast goes there and they're just like, oh my God, you're Chris's mom. Oh my God. And they're treated like, <laughs> like royalty and everything. So like, I, I just heard about that phenomenon and I was like, oh, that's really fascinating. I'm curious. I don't know anything about the show. I don't really remember much about it. Um, I liked the cast. I remember the liking the lead and the mom, um, the characters and the performances. And that was all I remembered. To the point where, Noel, I did not remember that this show was about Chris Rock. <laughs> I did not remember that Chris Rock was involved in any way with this show. And I did not remember that Terry Crews plays the dad. <laughs> so when I was starting, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, okay. Interesting. So I had an interesting experience watching this. I'm curious what you thought about it. But um, there are parts of it that I really enjoyed. Um, I think it's got a really strong cast. It's one of those teen set shows where they actually cast teenagers. And it makes such a difference. Um, and then there are parts of the show that I fucking hated. So, uh, yeah, it's one of those. I'm curious what you thought. What was your experience like with this show? Did you watch it when it was on or uh, was, was it new for you? It was pretty much all new for me. I'd seen the pilot a couple of times, I think, um, just because of life. Um, and... Yeah, so I hadn't really seen anything really past the pilot except maybe clips every now and then and probably like trailers for it when it was on UPN or CW and I was watching something else. Um, so this was like all new for me. Um, like you, I kind of forgot the Terry Crews song. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this was like really coming in fresh and I watched a whole ton of it. Um, like 15 episodes or so across the four seasons. Um, and it's, I agree with you. I think it's really good. I think there are parts of it that are really, really, really good. And the big parts are the, mostly almost all entirely driven by the performances. So I also think it is legitimately funny, um, a lot of the time as well. Um, but there are like little things that I don't like super love about it. Um, and we'll get into that, but on the whole, I was really I really enjoyed spending time with the show and getting like used to its rhythms. And one of the things that really kind of stood out to me as I was watching it across the show's run is really how very confident it is from the jump, Mm -hmm. Um, which was the thing that was, I think the most shocking to me uh, because sitcoms often take a little bit of time to find their mojo, find their gear. And I feel like Everybody Hates Chris found it very, very quickly because I watched the pilot and then I went into like episode five. Um, listeners, I just kind of jumped around and chose episodes based on what the Hulu log line sounded most interesting to me. And if the episode focused on Chris discovering something about comedy. <laughs> um, those, that, those were my two criteria for watching an episode. And 
the fifth episode's most of the time people have a pretty solid idea of how sitcom should be going but really it's not until like maybe closer to halfway through the season that a sitcom knows what it is um but by the time i like i did five i did six and then i did seven and then i jumped to like episode 15 and it all felt the same from the pilot. Um, and I don't say that in a mean or derogatory way. I say that in a, they knew what the show was and they figured it out very, very quickly, even in the pilot. And that kind of confidence, I think, leads to a lot of like room to do other things that I don't feel like everybody does. Everybody hates Chris actually does because I don't really feel like there's a lot of growth um, from the show. It's very consistent across all the episodes I watched, which I think is a real sign of a well-made show. But it also means that for me anyway, at least in the episodes I watched, and I really want to couch it in that, they didn't take any other like huge swings either. Um, and the show in and of itself is a big swing, so I don't want to knock it for internally not taking other bigger swings. But I do think that given how confident and how well-formed it basically was from the stop, from the start that there could have been more room for experimentation than they necessarily seemed interested in doing. But they knew what their show was going to be, and I I need to respect that. And I do a lot. Mm -hmm. For me, pretty much everything with the family really, really works. Yeah, and, I absolutely. And Tyler James Williams is really good as Chris. He, like, mm -hmm. And again, he was like, the kids were like 12 and 13 when the show started. So to be that confident as the lead of a show at that age um like despite i'm sure he'd been working for quite a long time before then you know i i assume i don't know um but you know to be centering uh, a, a sitcom at that age and to do it with such ease is really impressive um th the the siblings who are Taquan Richmond as uh, Drew and Imani Hakeem as Tanya. Uh, the friend is uh, Vincent Martella as Greg. Uh, they're also really good, but they're, they're much less centered, right? He's in pretty much every scene. Um, they're, you know, so they, they do a good job with what they're given and the, the dynamic is good and the chemistry is really good. Um, it's not surprising that Terry Crews and Gina Arnold are terrific as, as the parents especially to Gina Arnold. She's the one who stood out to me as the mom. Um, and I like the dynamic, especially with her and Williams. I think the Chris and his mom yeah. have one of the strongest dynamics on the show. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it, it was really impressive to me just how, like you said, just how quickly it hits the ground running, how much they know what their show is and what, you know, the kind of what the voice is. Um, I didn't need, as much voiceover as we got, but that's very much, you know, what they're going for. That's the, the energy. And that's the aesthetic that they are going for with Chris Rock doing the narration. I'm talking about his experiences, like not like him as future Chris, the character, as opposed to as Chris Rock, the comedian, we all, we all know. Um, but yeah, pretty much everything with the family dynamic, I thought really worked. And just like the day-to-day -day experiences, of Chris and you know what he's dealing with and what he's learning. Um, what did not work for me was just about everything around gender. It's so bad and dating. It's really, really bad uh, for me. 
Uh, and to the point where and I think I also just happened to sample. Like I watched a few from each season. I think I just happened to sample a bunch of episodes about how girls are all crazy, man. And you got to treat them like crap. And that's how like, then they'll like you. And that does actually happen. That's like validated mm-hmm. by the show. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, Chris's mom, if she doesn't get her chocolate, she turns into a lunatic and like, they try to balance that out with the dad and the lotto lotto tickets, but they don't in any sort of way. Like, it's just uh, the the number of really <laughs> upsetting threads are like misogynistic and uh, uh, gross threads around dating that you get in this uh, was very distracting and um, not something I uh, it, it was enough to really turn me off of the show. Um, and I think if I had watched it, if I was watching it week to week and I was watching all of it, it wouldn't bother me as much because I, I do. My guess is that I just happened to get unlucky with the episodes that I happened to watch. Um, so, cause, cause then there would be episodes that would be centered more on the again, the family dynamic or other things at the school or, and those I was perfectly fine with and really enjoyed um, and got a lot out of. And the, the episodes that had, that had Chris, um, you know, feeling like, like, oh, you're my girlfriend. You're not your own person. <laughs> you are defined by being owned by me, you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, and with no sense of like no pushback on that, you know, and from either the narration or the other characters or the, you know, the love interest, um, like it was really off-putting. Um, and I'm, and you know, I don't know much about Chris Rock's stand-up besides the few, the bit of his stand I've seen. And obviously he's very, very talented. He's very good at what he does. Um, I do not remember him being particularly great on gender issues, but I haven't seen a lot of his stand-up on that topic either. So I don't know if that's a Chris Rock thing, if that's a these writers thing. Um, it does feel appropriate for a teenage boy who's really dumb. Yeah, and the time period too. Regardless. And the time period. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but that doesn't mean I want to watch yeah. it. Yeah, the <laughs> so. show does poorly by Tasha. And you you watched Everybody Hates Tasha, which is from season four, late in season four is run mm-hmm. where Chris and Tasha actually start dating. But then Tasha gets depicted as deeply, deeply controlling um, and suffocating and smothering. Um, yeah. And then you also watch... Well, and part of why I watched that one was because they had set her up earlier as a love interest, but as a love interest, um, and did like, you know, like, so I was like, oh, this is going to be like, you know, his, his Winnie Cooper or like girl next door kind of a thing that they're going to, and then no, she's, you know, like that, they just don't do that after, you know, in my sampling, what felt like seasons of buildup, you know, which I'm sure wasn't actually that, but, um, yeah. Yeah. And you watched, um, season 12 season 12 episode 12 of season three which is everybody hates bad boys where chris decides to pretend to be slaver slave basically slave a slave which is yeah. a solid solid reference show i i like <laughs> that um and to like do the like the bad boy type thing which is becoming a bad boy is a super rote well-trodden 
type of narrative for this kind of a coming of age story, especially on a television show where you just become whatever the current cultural milieu's definition of a bad boy is. That's what you become. Um, It's just boring no matter what the milieu is because it's always the same thing both every time. Um, And that's no different here. I think it does allow Williams to find some different layers to play, which is really good for him um, because, and he's very good in that episode in particular, the Bad Boys episode, I think. But it's just not interesting to watch. (laughs) Um, And that all, like, feeds into, like, larger issues of the various misogyny. Um, Like, you didn't even get to watch um, Everybody Hates Big Bird, which is a... I I started to watch that one, and I was like, what are you doing, Kate? You're not going to like this yeah. one. This is the one where he doesn't want people knowing that he's dating the, the nerdy yeah, girl. And Don't watch that one. Do you know, you want to guess how that episode ends? Uh, I, okay. I'm going to guess that that episode ends with, uh, it gets out, he breaks up yes. with her, and then, um, for whatever reason, um, it gets out that they were that they had been dating, but she now all of a sudden is super popular. And, um, and so he, if he had, you know, like, so it's like, Oh, see, you should have dated her. So that way you could gain status um, or something like that. More or less. Um, she comes back like two days later with a complete makeover and looks like super hot. Um, so she gets like a really slow-mo walk down the stairs. There's a fan blowing. So her hair is everywhere. And it's one of those um, situations in which, when I was watching the episode, I was just like, no, this actor is legitimately like magazine cover attractive. And those glasses and the high collar sh- shirt is not hiding that. But I can see where this is going. And it does. And she actually ends the episode just ridiculously attractive. And it's just like, yeah, while I was getting a makeover, I ran into this woman named Cindy Crawford. And she's taking me to Paris and is going to turn me into something called the supermodel. And then mm-hmm. she just saunters out of the school and yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so it's just like, yeah, no show. I got it already. And all of that, like, again, this is just really well-trodden classical narrative type stuff, especially for comedies and, and especially for teen comedies. And it was just, but it doesn't do anything different or new with it. It just hits the same notes over and over again. And, and it's just, it doesn't lead anywhere. And I think that's kind of the problem, one of the part and problems of the representation of women that you identify is that they don't do anything to push back against it or provide a twist. They just do it at face value. Um, And that's just really frustrating to watch because a lot of the rest of the show, I think is really good. Even something like the, the Mrs. Morello character, who's his homeroom teacher, who's just awful, just, Just the worst possible. Really bad. But is funny because everyone knows she's awful. um, Mm -hmm. And the show does not make her sympathetic or it makes her sympathetic in the regards of what is with this woman? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that there's a lot that helps that particular aspect of it. But then you also just get Orlando Jones coming in for an episode and just 
slaying. <laughs> and the ending of that episode is so good. <laughs> Where he gets shot in the leg. Yeah, there's a lot of really good. There's a lot of really good cast, a guest cast, yes. and uh, and a lot of really fun turns. Yeah, people pop up. This is another one that I would say like. If the gender thing is not going to bother you as much, or if it is, you just skip those episodes. Like, look at the description, decide if you, if maybe you don't want to skip see that one. Um, but this is one if you're interested, like absolutely scan the like the guest mm-hmm. cast or the um, look at the pictures to see who pops up because there's a lot of really fun, you know, performances uh, from from character actors, but also very recognizable people. Like, like Samuel Jackson pops up for like two seconds as like future Chris, if he like fails a test or something. And then now he's in the future, he's a crack addict. And it's like, don't tell my mother that or something like, like there's some really like out there and fun little cameos and then full episode guest performances as well that are, super delightful and and uh and really uh a, a, a treat and one of the aspects of the show that i did not anticipate yeah and like there are a number like uh wayne brady shows up a couple times um but like literary divine shows up jack a henry harry shows up um i love jack a harry um so i think that there's a lot of like really good guest casting like you said um jason alexander shows up a couple of times as like the new principal um and does his jason alexander thing um, but the, the episode in which he and Chris are trapped in trapped in the school together during a, a snow day, snow day, um, is actually pretty solid. And there's a <laughs> the joke of not finding out his the principal's darkest secret is actually quite funny. I think. Um, so I think that there's a lot of really good, interesting things in the show. It's just sometimes it hits the wrong notes, and that's frustrating. Um. Do you have anything else that you want to talk about before we talk about the finale? Which we have to talk about the finale because it's so frustrating. Uh <laughs> listeners, we're gonna tell you this so that you can watch it if you're intrigued. And if not, you can just not watch it. You just stop watching the last episode before the last few minutes. Um, because for their finale, for their series finale. They decided, you know, let, let's do. There was this really buzzed about finale this year, which was the Sopranos. It finale. was two years before this, so let's just do the same ending. I kept waiting for there to be a twist. Well, I kept waiting for there to be like a like cut to black, and then like then they go come back from the black and do something else, like to make it their own. And like, but no, they just do a different show's finale even though it has nothing to do with this show and doesn't make any sense is not narratively satisfying they i guess they wanted schrodinger's uh, like ged results but like they didn't know whether or not they were going to get canceled okay yeah but it doesn't make it any more satisfying or- it's it's mind-boggling because you keep because like you're watching the show being like okay this is this is a funny sh- like i have my problems with it but this is a funny show it's a well-made show Yes. So they're going to do, like, there's some twist coming, there's something, you know, like, okay, let's see. And then it keeps going. And it keeps, and it's like, oh, there's the guy, so that way everybody's like, oh, is it the assassin who's coming? And all of that. And, and you know, you keep waiting for the, the twist, or, like, the, the sparkle in the eye, or the, the wink, and it just doesn't happen. And it's, inc- like, I think that is a brilliant finale for The Sopranos. Uh, and I think it's very strange and dumb finale 
for this show. Um, baffling. I think it's very strange as well. I, And it's very silly and I don't like it. But at the same time, I really love watching all of them singing Living on a Prayer together so much. Yeah, I do. That like I that. don't care. Um, because it's such a great moment for almost all of them. Because mm-hmm. um, Julius isn't quite there yet. But it's such a celebratory moment and such an at-ease moment for this family that it's constantly being thwarted or is at each other's throats for various reasons. Um, that watching them eat fried crust together while singing <laughs> Living mm-hmm. on a Prayer is so good that I don't really care. Um, that for me is what kind of carried me through. And that's why I don't need the twist or the wink as much because I just loved watching them have this moment together. Um, that felt really kind of beautiful, but also something that organically, I don't think that they could do without doing the Sopranos. <laughs> Ironically. Um, so yeah, it's not great, but it's worth it for me for that moment in and of itself. That's that's kind of how I approached it. And listeners, after I watched it, I immediately te- texted Kate with, I don't care however many other episodes you watch, you have to watch the finale. And I did not tell her why. No other context. And I was like, oh, because I kept, that was another thing. I was like, okay, well, no, I was watching this episode. It was very straightforward that, you know, he's going to drop out of school and do the GED and that guy, all of that and the, I kept waiting for, and then I then the finale, like the ending, kicked in. I was like, "Oh, this is why. <laughs> what is happening? Oh my god!" So, listeners, if you have thoughts on everybody hates Chris, um, let us know. Reach out how you feel about the finale and how you feel about these different as- aspects of the show. Um, I, I I feel like I've been kind of rough on it, but um, that's because I feel I feel strongly about it. About I really like the stuff that I like. And I really don't like the stuff I don't like about the show. And, you know, that's just, you know, it's how it, how it goes with certain shows. It's like, you know, it's all it's all one whole all together. And, you know, you can, just because there's an aspect that really bothers me doesn't mean I don't appreciate all the things that it's doing really, really well. So, yeah. Yeah, that's one of those just strangest, I think, finales. Not in what happens in the finale, but as far as like a creative decision, yeah. Where they're like, "We're gonna do this," and everybody got on board. But like, not just the showrunners; like the network had to get on board too. Like every, like, yeah. Anyways, uh, any final thoughts on everybody hates Chris? No, really good. Very much of its time in single cam sitcom with a distinct voice and the narration, which I agree. I needed less of um so it is very much of its time which yeah is is mid to late aughts yeah yeah so it's very much of its time but it's very good and well worth seeking out uh we watched it on hulu which the entire run is there but it's also on peacock um and i think it's also on paramount plus it is pretty much anywhere you want to watch it um across those three platforms and if you're yeah so it's available to watch and i'd encourage you to do it because it's pretty good mm-hmm well, listeners, let us know what you think about all of this, um, as well as Week's TV. A few show notes here. You can find a post of this episode over at theteleverse.org, where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the Week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find an MP3 unchaptered feed and an M4A chaptered feed over on Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a comment, uh, a rating or review. You can find us over on Stitcher as well. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews there. Um, we are both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse, and Noel, you are? 
at Noel RK. Thank you so much for a great discussion this week, Kate. Thank you, Noel. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. 